Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. I can't thank this week's sponsor enough, Podcorn. They make connecting podcasters with sponsorship opportunities such as host-read ads, topical discussions, and interview segments easy as can be. They took what had been a labor-intensive part of my podcasting process and make it easy for me to focus on what we as creators do best, create. If you're looking for a way to monetize the hard work you put into your podcast, then look no further than Podcorn. You set the rate you believe to be fair and deal with the brands directly. There is no middleman. And at Podcorn, you will never give up any rights to your podcast. Their mission is to make sure creators like me are compensated in an appropriate manner. You can check them out on their website, podcorn.com. They have packages for podcasts of all sizes. And again, I can't thank them enough for making my life easier. I've provided a link in the show notes to check out what Podcorn can do for you. Slow Burn Media and Bill Huffman present this week's episode of Who Killed with Melissa Lee of the Victimology Podcast. On April 28, 1979, Christina White disappeared. Her family, the community, and law enforcement searched, but to date have never found any answers why a young, vibrant girl suddenly went missing. Jackie Nichols with the Asotan County Sheriff's Office has spent years now trying to piece together that mystery that unfolded on April 28, 1979, right here on the streets of Asotan. Detective Nichols has hope for these cases. She wants to look into the evidence collected at the crime scene of Christina Nelson and Brandy Miller for the possibility of DNA. But she says that's a long, grueling process. She will keep fighting until these cases are solved. Now, if you have any information on anything involving these cases, she says to call their 24-hour dispatch line at 509-758-2331. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of Who Killed. I am your host, Bill Huffman, and of course, this is a Slow Burn Media podcast. And on this week's show, I will be talking with Melissa Lee of the Victimology podcast about the Lewis Clark Valley serial killer. Now, she was also on this week's episode of True Crime Garage to discuss the Delphi case, but I thought it would be also nice to have her on Who Killed. So, if you guys missed the episode with her on my passion case, then this would be a great time to hear some insight into one of the most interesting cases in the Pacific Northwest. So join me and Melissa as we discuss who killed the victims in the Lewis Clark Valley serial killer case. Welcome to the show. 
Thanks for having me. I'm very uh, lucky to have you. And I would be very interested to hear an, a little bit about what case you decided to uh, choose this week. So I have to just say it was really difficult to pick one because I'm like one of those kids who grew up watching court TV and all that fun stuff. And um, I really, you know, couldn't pick one. Let's put it that way. So I ended up looking, you know, as an adult, what case has completely captivated me and I have just dove on into, and that is the Lewis and Clark Valley serial killer. With this case, I know a little bit about it. What were the years that this case actually took place? In the actual like Washington and Idaho region, the years that this person of interest was active would have been like 1979 to eh, about 19, like 82-ish, we'll say. But we've come to find that there are way more cases than just these local ones. So this person has been active most likely since he was a teenager. And that is very scary because he's done a lot of damage. Okay, so there are what, I believe, four known victims? There are two, three, four, five. There are five victims in the Lewis and Clark Valley area. Okay. And um, he is somehow connected to just about every single one of these. And you said there are more? There are more. So more recently, they've come out to find, so he actually grew up in Chicagoland, which, (laughs) yikes, that's where I'm from. Come to find out in the 1960s, there was a little girl who was murdered that he was actually interviewed with. So they ended up finding that incidentally while shooting a recent documentary about it. They think that this might be the straw that breaks the camel's back, I suppose. Well, I guess that's... So yeah, there's, I mean, there is just a lot to this case. And the more you look into it, the clearer it gets. Yeah, I'm not going to rag on uh, Chicago, but, you know. We don't exactly have yeah, the I was best just gonna, reputation. I was just going to no. say, like, <laughs> you know, as far as serial killers go, you know, there's a guy, mm-hmm. I believe, named Gacy. So, yeah. mm-hmm. you, you know, um, I wouldn't be too shocked about four or five killings. But, mm-hmm. you know, it is what it is. So, anyway getting back to why this <laughs> yeah. is a passion case and what it is that makes it so interesting to you. I'm so, not going to lie. Well, first yeah. of all, I'm just going to say, not to date myself, but I was born right around that time. And uh, yeah, that's uh, it's a very desolate area, though, where, I mean, Spokane. Yeah, and, it's, it's, uh, it's and, tiny uh, towns. They're, yeah, um, it's the, definitely like all locals and, you know, it's like a small town. I've been there. out there. Oh, I've you been, have? Yeah. I've oh been, my gosh. I didn't yeah. know that. <clears throat> so like I've been through, I went on a cross country trip with my best friend from growing up and we actually traveled through uh, the Northern Peninsula of Idaho and Spokane. And, oh, wow. and so like we've been through that stretch of, uh, I mean, it really is like, if you haven't been there, it's East of Washington is very desolate. And, you know, northern Idaho, it's got Coeur d'Alene, which is like a beautiful, it's like a Lake Tahoe of, mm-hmm. of Idaho. But other than that, there's just, I mean, it's very 
easy place to pick somebody up if they're Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, and if there is let's put it this way, this person of interest had the resources to utilize the vast emptiness and he he took advantage of the area. That's what we'll say. Yeah, I mean a lot of serial <laughs> kill- I mean, well, I mean serial killers if they're going to if they are wanting to be active in an area, they're definitely going to take advantage of what the environment provides them i mean it's very bundy mm-hmm. bundy like you know i mean mm-hmm. he had the same type of environment to a degree where he could take these bodies up just 40 or 50 yards off the road and it's so desolate with trees and all that stuff that like you know you're never gonna find the body mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know with this case that's part of it not all of his victims have been found so it's believed that he again and the victim that's not yeah. been found is it just one that's not been found? There's two in that area that okay. have not been found to this day. That Christina White? Mm-hmm. And that would have been in 1979. Okay. And then Stephen Parasol in uh, 1982. Yes. Do you want me to kind of <laughs> go into? Yeah, go for it. I mean, I the, the whole thing that interests me about, about that aspect of it is it's four females and a male. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, where does the male fall into this mm-hmm. series? You know, uh-huh. killings. So it's go, definitely pretty go. interesting. You know, the first victim is believed to be, like I said, Diane Taylor from Chicagoland. And she was a kid at the time. Um, and that would have been in the 60s. And then it's important to mention, just as a pre note to the entire case of the actual Lewis and Clark Valley victims, in 1972, this person of interest was actually caught breaking into a mortuary where the body of a 16-year-old named Antoinette Anino was being held. And she died under mysterious circumstances. So (laughs) right off the bat, we're not looking pretty good as far as with this guy. He was actually caught breaking in with a hunting knife and a camera. And the owner at the time had claimed he said he was going to see his girlfriend one last time. Of course. And they apparently did not know each other. So, but that's hearsay. You know, I don't want to jumble anything. I'm just sharing the knowledge that I know about that. And um, again, she died in very mysterious circumstances. They initially said it was suicide. However, her body was found nude on the beach. They never found her clothing, which is very weird for a 16-year-old to commit suicide that way if she did commit suicide. Which it's it very weird. It doesn't look like she did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody's going to strip down. I mean, like, look at the Rebecca Zahau case. Like, sure. we know she did not kill herself. <laughs> like, she stripped completely. You're going to tell me she basically hogtied herself, stripped naked, and jumped to her death. I highly doubt that. That it's case, not a that common case thing. is a whole nother. Oh, Yeah. That's like a oh, yeah. that's a series right there. Oh, for sure. I mean, um, I, mean, I think yeah. you did a television series on it, but nonetheless, yeah, yeah. that's a, that's a crazy, crazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But anyway, that's not. Oh, anyway, so just as our little like precursors to the entire case itself, we have those two that are believed to be victims of his. So let's go to Christina White. So Christina White is, I believe, twelve years old. Yeah, 12 years old. And this would have been in like 1979. So she had two siblings, lived at home with her parents, had a good friend in the area. And at this time, it was like April 1979, there was a fair going on in the Asotan area. And she wanted to go to her friend's house to help prepare the horse. I suppose her friend had a horse. And she was very prone to suffering from heat stroke. So she got to this friend's house. She 
called her mom. Her mom couldn't come and get her right away. So she had just said, ask for a cold towel, put it on your head. And when you feel better, head on home, which it was basically down the street, only like a couple blocks away. So time passes. Mom's waiting for her at the end of the street. She doesn't show up. So then they call the police. So this is where it gets kind of weird. This person of interest was supposedly the only person in the home that day when she disappeared and supposedly was the person to give her a towel. So, you know, first case that we're aware of for him, you know, unfortunately, children go missing all the time. One weird fact that I had learned from watching the documentary Confluence, so Christina White's mother actually spoke with this person of interest, and he was just very squirrely, I guess you could say. He was very interested in joining the investigation for this case, like in helping in any way he could. He was the first one, which is very common. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they want to relive it in a sense where they're present, like knowing full well, it's almost like a haha, I know you don't. But at the same time to watch what's happening in the case, it's absolutely happens a lot of the times. So Christina White's mother spoke with him and I found this really, really interesting. When speaking with her, he had a towel around his neck. That's odd. Right? I'm like, hmm, that's kind of odd because he supposedly gave her a towel. So she has never been found to this day. Um, She had her bike with her at the time and her nor the bike have ever been found. So about a year later, almost not quite a year later, around the area of where the farm was, where the horse was kept, school papers of hers were found in like perfectly new condition as if they had just been placed there. And um, apparently that's the only like physical evidence in this case whatsoever. Wow. Kind of weird, right? Like that's... Doesn't seem like a coincidence when you kind of think about it. No, and I, no. I, I did read about that, and I thought, mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. And if, if anything, it makes me think he's taunting the police. That's what I was thinking. Right? Like he's, oh, well, here you go. Here's a, you know, here's a clue. Yep. So Come get me. Exactly. You know, and he did own property in the area. He was staying at his girlfriend's house at the time, and um, he had a house not too far from the white as well. So, and that he, you know, nobody was living there at the time. So it's believed he could have hidden something there for a short amount of time if he had to. So it's definitely plausible with him for this case. Absolutely. And I think to this day, he's obviously still person of interest number one. So that was the first victim in 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 the area. In the area. So uh, where did it go from there? So we fast forward to 1981. So So two year break? Supposedly. Okay. But there is a theory behind this. There's definitely a theory. So okay. Kristen David decided to go for a bike ride. So she was a young female. She was a college student, right? Mm-hmm, she was. Okay. And she had worked at like a pea processing plant. Um, I think she had bartended too. Don't quote me on that. But she was, you know. Standard college jobs. Yeah. Exactly. So she decided to go for a bike ride, which she did pretty frequently. Um, She was going to, you know, take a long pathway down and um, was going to end up going, I think, to class or work or something later on. So it's the West. Everybody's more active than we are. I honestly, I'm like, I can't even remember the last time I went for a bike ride. I know. I was just thinking, I was reading the story and I'm like, I'm like, oh gosh, you know, like I have a nice Mm -hmm. new bike and I'm like, yeah, right. (laughs) Have I ridden it yet this summer? No, I have have not. not. (laughs) So anyway, anyway, and that's it. Well, so (laughs) with, with Kristen, so there was a supposed witness 
to this, but I had heard conflicting reports as far as whether or not this actually came from the witness's mouth or whether or not he was hypnotized. And as you know, hypnotism does not always work well when trying to find witnesses, as we know from Amy's case. Oh, um, sure. A lot I mean, of times it could be a red herring, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay, when you don't have a lot of different options, that's where... Right, if you're... Exactly, if you're end of the line. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. You know, this witness supposedly saw a man in a car next to a woman on the ground who appeared to be unconscious. Okay. So this guy went and called 911. Ambulance came out and they're like, they got mad at him because (laughs) nobody was there. So this happened about a week before July 4th. Her body was found actually on July 4th, wrapped in trash bags, floating in the Snake River. Mm. She had been dismembered, which a lot of people have argued that's not really his MO. I am actually pretty good friends now with Gloria Boberts, who is the cousin of one of the victims. And her and I have spoken about this. And, you know, she actually runs a Facebook group that the second I had heard about this case, I like hopped into. But um, (laughs) regardless... She and I have spoken and we were looking at the timeline and we're thinking, you know, what was going on in his life at this point. Come to find out he was getting married in July and Kristen was found beforehand. A lot of times if like a big thing is happening in serial killers lives or, you know, a stressful time, they will branch out and try something new, which we know Bundy did. Bundy did that a couple times where he tried different things to see. And um, something kind of interesting, you know, in rewatching Cold Valley, I think I've watched it like 10 times at this point because I'm like, there's got to be something I'm missing. Yeah, but not to make you feel bad about living in Chicago again. I lived (laughs) a dorm away from where Ted Bundy lived. So it happens. Yeah. You know, that time was just not a good time. I mean, like there were tons of serial killers active at that point like at least that's the way it seems right definitely i don't know if they're gonna look back on this in you know 50 years and be like oh man the the 2000s were just fucking insane but man it's like uh i don't know like the Mm -hmm. 70s yeah the 70s and early 80s just seemed god so ripe for just like Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. being a just chaos basically (laughs) yeah and just Which having is terrifying. Ugh, awful. Makes me glad I'm a '90s baby. Let's put it that way. Okay, um, shut up, shut up now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, continue. Can, continue. Anyway, Ned, that anyway. wasn't it. No offense, I did not mean that. Everybody knows. Yeah, but, yeah. Okay. okay. So anyway, youth is a great thing. Yeah, <laughs> we'll go with that. Yes. Um. So her body was found in trash bags. The coroner believes that whoever dismembered her would have had some sort of medical knowledge. And in talking to Gloria, you know, we were kind of bouncing off one another. She had mentioned that there's been people who have claimed that he's like walked them through parts of the body. So he, he's very smart, avid learner. He had walked people through like somebody had cut their skin and he walked them through the entire like skin layers into the muscle, into the bone, like all that <laughs> good stuff. And they're like, uh, okay, thanks for that, I guess. So it's believed that he could have, you know, known something and also... I believe he was a hunter as well. So when a hunter would know how to yes. do something like that. And it was kind of weird too, because she was wrapped in newspaper, like a butcher, which is kind of... Uh, very Iceman-like. Yeah. Yeah. So in another weird coincidence, I believe that her bike has never been found to this day either. 
So it's kind of weird, right? Two cases. Yeah. People just seem to completely disappear. Obviously, one body found, one not. And, you know, this case has actually been submitted to the FBI. And there's definitely people out there who are not sure whether or not he's responsible for this case. There's reason to believe he is. You know, they would have crossed paths, most likely. And he drove around for a living, basically. He was like a delivery driver for a specific company and would have driven that route quite a bit. So something to think about. That would also make sense for the, as far as the... The packaging goes, Mm -hmm. if you work for a certain Mm -hmm. company. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't know whether or not everything's been found with Kristen Mm -hmm. David. I'm not sure as far as body parts go. Mm. They have not released that. So it was Kristen White and then Kristen David? Yeah, Christina White and then Kristen David. Oh, jeez. I know. So, and again, it, it, you know, my thought process at least was that maybe this was like a sick and twisted bachelor party for him because he sure changed it up that one is um really disturbing i i mean not that like any of these cases are comforting but um the fact that she was found dismembered to you know a beautiful young woman like that's just disgustingly wrong so that's Kristen david's story yeah that's ridiculous yeah yeah okay and so where do we go from here so we go to 1982 now our person of interest He's a musician and was very involved with the, the Civic Theater. We'll call it just the Civic Theater. I can't think of the actual name as of okay. right this moment. So he was very involved in that. And quite a few people were. So let's put it this way. I've In researching this case, I've found multiple Reddit posts where people have commented, oh, I used to volunteer with him. Oh, I used to do this with him. Like He was fairly well known in the area. So that being said, the night that three people go missing... Who do you want to guess is the only other person in that theater? Okay, here's where it gets interesting. So Christina Nelson and Brandy Miller are stepsisters. They decide to walk. It's like 9.30 at night, I believe. They decide to walk down to the local like little convenience store to pick up a couple groceries. And it's believed that the person of interest crossed paths with them somehow, or they had stopped at the Civic Theater because both of them had volunteered there. And I think one of them actually worked as a janitor there. You know, they were very familiar with it. They spent a lot of time there. You know, they're walking. So Stephen Pearsall is the other person in this mixture. So Stephen Pearsall was actually dropped off there and was actually witnessed going into the theater, not only by his girlfriend, who was dropping him off, but also by a police officer. So, you know, who's a better witness than that, you know, as to what time someone went into the building? So these three people go missing is basically the concept. And in 1984, both of the girls' bodies are found by chance. Um, In the documentary Confluence about this case, the guy who actually found their bodies, his hat flew off and should have just like dropped down like on the ground, but ended up tumbling, tumbling, tumbling. And he ended up discovering the girls' bodies at that point. You know, if you believe in a divine intervention, I do. I mean, in a way, it seems like they were meant to be found that day. And I believe they were hogtied and kind of skeletonized at that point, so they could not truly find a definitive cause of death. Mm. Yeah. But no Stephen Pearsall. So the person of interest, they found out that he was there that night, and before the girls' bodies were found, they questioned him, and his story just did not line up whatsoever. 
Like he um, had said that he had watched, I believe, the movie The Fog and had said that it ended like an hour earlier or later than it actually did. Like they actually have the record of when the movie was shown. So he has an hour of undocumented time. So his story doesn't line up whatsoever. And also kind of weird. They say to him, you know, you're our main person of interest in this case. And his answer is, I'm sorry you feel that way. (laughs) That's kind of weird. Would you say that if you were a person of interest in a case? I, I'm going to say most people would not say that if you're not a serial killer. But yeah, so a lot of talk as far as this goes, you know, people are like, well, did Stephen Pearsall kill the two girls? I completely understand that people have to look at this case from every which you know direction that they possibly can because, yeah, you have a guy who has completely disappeared. You know, is mm. he responsible? So in, you know, researching just who Stephen was as a person, he was a very like soft hearted person. He was not not a mean person. He was not tough, rough and tough, whatever you want to call it. He had, um, I guess, an incredibly difficult time like having to put his dog to sleep, which I mean, obviously most people would, but mm. like it was like physically painful for him. And he was just a really good person and like almost like a father figure to a lot of the girls, like kids in the theater. He was a really good guy. And something kind of weird too is he plays clarinet and his clarinet's left behind at the theater. So as a musician, I know firsthand, like, I'm not going to leave my instrument anywhere. Like, that baby's going with me, even if I'm disappearing forever. You know, and on top of it, too, he had an uncashed check at home, like a, his paycheck. And they're like, okay, if he were trying to leave, why would he leave that behind? You wouldn't. Right. You know, in looking at everything, obviously, this person of interest has made somebody disappear before and they've not been found. So why is it so difficult to believe he would do the same to Stephen? It's also believed that Stephen walked in on something. Mm. And that was another thing. The person of interest claimed he didn't even know Stephen Pearsall was there, yet he was sleeping right by the door where he would have absolutely heard him coming in. So it's believed he walked in on him attacking the two girls, and then, you know, Stephen was collateral damage, unfortunately. That's no good. No. Mm Mm-mm. Yeah, it's just all around, like, I feel for these families so much. And, you know, it's like one thing if you have a case and you don't know who's responsible, but to know that this person is, like, living their life every single day with no consequences, and it's very, very obvious for multiple reasons. And we don't even know what law enforcement has. Let's put it that way. It's painful. You know, yeah. it does. it's not fair. Which, and people will say life isn't fair, but I'm going to go ahead and say that, you know, when you have somebody taken from you, you know, you're not going to sympathize with them. That's what we'll say. There's one other case that he's not necessarily connected to, but I think it's important to definitely mention. He was dating someone named, or actually having an affair with someone named Claudette Valiva, I believe is her last name, and she ended up committing suicide. And he ended up romanticizing quite a bit of things about the scene. He was the one who found her, supposedly. So that's kind of weird. Like, he was telling the story to people, like, oh, I found her, and she was clutching this item in my, you know, her hand. It was this figurine I had painted for her. And I'm like, okay, that's like way too romanticized for me to take that even seriously. And supposedly this girl died of an overdose and overdoses are not pretty deaths. Like you're going to seize basically until Mm -hmm. you finally die. It's it's not a, people are always like, oh, this is a comfortable way to, it's not. 
It absolutely is not. It would have been impossible for her to have held on to this item. So we know he lied about that. And the police said that there was no indication that that had happened. You know, if he's lying about that, that's a weird thing to lie about. Someone's yeah. suicide. Yeah, I agree with that. 100%. So, and, and it's believed that this guy is a necrophiliac, too. I mean, obviously, if he's entering a mortuary with a camera, like... Just add yeah. more to the... Wow. And something important to mention, too, is these victims are all similar in height and stature. They're all, like, tinier women. He definitely has a type, unfortunately. Yet somehow the people who he dated and married were the complete opposite. But so, I, I have a theory that in talking to Gloria, the relationship between him and his mom was inappropriate. And that's all we know. Nobody will elaborate on that. Somebody had spoken to her and said they were acting not how a mother and son should be acting. You know, uh, we can take that and turn it into anything we want. But in reality, we know a lot of times that serial killers stem from relationships with their mother. I mean, look at Ed Gein. Right. Edmund Kemper. Look at everyone. Exactly. Edmund Kemper, especially. I mean, he uh, did some unspeakable things, I believe, to his mother's skull, uh, which yeah. that's, um, and it's it's hard to like put yourself into the shoes of these people because we don't think that way. So it's like, God only knows. I mean, honestly, the way these people operate, uh, you know, and as far as this guy goes, he's living in like North Carolina now, just like hanging out, doing his thing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's refused, right? I, yeah. So heads up, everybody out there. If I find, I, I actually have a couple people who I know have like family members out there. I'm like, yeah, just so they know this guy's out there and he's just kind of hanging out. And I mean, you know, he's in his 70s now at this point. He's still very, like fairly fit and active. So that's something to keep in yeah, mind. Have fun uh, with that. Yeah. And... <laughs> If anyone's really interested in learning more about this case, because like I said, once I heard about it, I was like completely captivated by mm -hmm. it. There was actually a case that someone had posted into this group about a sketch of a man who was seen where two murder victims' bones were found, two women of you know similar size and stature to his, his victims in North Carolina, and it looks just like him. So I don't want to say his name, obviously, because he's not been named out there officially. But I said this in the episode I did about it. You can just Google it and it is right there. So Yeah. Well, you can also, I mean, tell the listeners where to find your episode. Oh, for sure. So I, you know what? <laughs> that should say something. That's how much I am interested in this case. This was my like first episode on my um true crime podcast, Victimology. And it's like been my baby. So I wanted to make sure it was a case that's like really important to me. And, um, you know, it's just, like I said, these people have grown on me to where, you know, I feel like pain for them knowing right. what they know. You know, I mean, it just like infuriates me I mean, that he's, he's out there. What is law enforcement's perspective on the whole situation? So they've started a new task force, which, you know, in watching the documentary Cold Valley that was on Investigation Discovery, it was so well done. Oh, my gosh. Detective Jackie Nichols, I've said, is like my new hero. She's like leading up the investigations over in Asotin, Washington. She is literally a badass for like <laughs> the true extent of the word. So, you know, they've started a new task force with this. So he's, uh, you know, definitely being looked at. And if you watch in Cold Valley, they're actually sending stuff off to the FBI to be tested. 
you know, she goes through his old car that he ended up selling and she's out in the field actually like looking at places where bodies could be. Like it's crazy. It's yeah, absolutely I, crazy. Yeah. I saw some pictures of the, I mean, if you go online, you can definitely see some Oh yeah, of what she's done. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you know what? It's important to mention too, there was another criminal out there named Harry Hamp- Hampman, I believe. And he did have like a village or like a cottagey hidden from the reality of the world place that he was like hiding out in for a really long time. So and a lot of times they connect Kristen David's case with that, but there are differences that have not been elaborated to me. Let's put it that way. That's why they're not sure it was Harry Hampman. But something to mention as well with our person of interest, he has refused polygraphs. And that was back in like the 70s and 80s. That was still looked at as like a yeah, this yeah, is it was like an definitive thing. Right. Exactly, exactly. And his thought process was, I had a really bad experience and I don't think it would be in my best interest. Like, okay, what was your bad experience with it? You know, something uh, the last time the I murdered a girl, I had to... Uh... I mean, honestly, like, good God. So then he was actually approached then a couple years later about a different case altogether from, you know, the Lewis and Clark people to which he gave DNA for yet had his lawyer doctor something up saying you can only use it for this case. If that doesn't sound like a guilty person to you, I I don't know what would because you're going to tell me you wouldn't want to clear your name. Like he has not denied anything anything as far as i'm aware he has not denied anything wouldn't you want to clear your name so he's just said no comment basically yeah and i believe something along the lines of you know don't name me but like has not fought whatsoever and no you know what and i was thinking about the west memphis three case and talk and i was talking to gloria one day about how the civil case coming out from one of the suspects ended up requiring him to give dna and I'm like, I would love to see that happen with this case because in civil cases, it's much different than criminal. Stuff like that can just like come out. It would be interesting to see. So, and like I said, I know there's stuff moving around in the back. I'm not privy to that information, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Wish I was. You know, we can only hope this like son of a bitch is going to get caught because he is obviously still a danger to society. If you look at the case, and again, if anybody wants to join the Facebook group, it's Lewis Clark Valley Serial Killer Discussions, and it's run by Gloria, who is Christina Nelson's cousin. And she has just become like an advocate for the entire victims of this piece of shit. If it wasn't this guy, who could it be? No one. That's the problem. (laughs) Because you're going to tell me, how many times do people have to die or disappear around you mysteriously for it not to be suspicious? Like, to be the last person to see somebody alive, Christina White, and to be in the place where three people disappeared and two were found murdered... And then lying about the timeline of you being there. I mean, that's pretty sketchy. Like that's, I mean, and then, you know, like breaking into a mortuary. Like, can we talk about that for a second? Like that is beyond messed up. And what was he caught with again? A knife and a camera breaking in to see the dead body of a 16-year-old. And he would have been in, I think, in his like 20s at the time, late teens, 20s. Yeah. Now, was that his first run-in with the law? Oh, no. Diane Taylor would have been his first when he was interviewed. Okay. Now, granted, there were tons of people, tons of people interviewed for this little girl's death. I mean, and she she suffered a horrible death. Diane Taylor did. Not not to like take away from any of the victims, but for the brutality towards a child. I mean, I think that speaks volumes as far as what kind of person we're dealing with. And he would have been a teenager at the time. What made her death so? She was found in an alleyway. She was seen leaving the YMCA where I believe he was a camp counselor. So take that into effect. And 
last seen, you know, walking away. And then a couple of days later, her body shows up completely bruised and beaten. And I believe she was sexually assaulted as well. And for the time, and I think that was 1963. Let me confirm that. I'm pretty sure it was 1963. But for that time, I mean, like, my goodness. Like that was horrible. Yeah, 1963, August 3rd is when her body was found in the alley. This guy basically was active for what we believe is at least at the bare minimum 20 years. Oh, absolutely. And it's believed that this could have been his first victim. And it's, I mean, a miracle at all that they found it, that Gloria happened upon this. I mean, it's a miracle. That is insane. Right? I mean, I'm just like, okay, at this point, and I know I've heard people like, well, maybe he's the Zodiac. <laughs> it's like at this point, the brutality of this it. guy, <laughs> I, you know, at, I, at this point, I feel like everybody's considered to be the Zodiac, but you know, that's, yeah, exactly. that's okay. But yeah, no, I mean, this, this sick son of a bitch needs to get off the streets as far as I'm concerned, even if he's old. I don't care if he's old. He still needs to pay for what he did. It didn't make a difference in catching Whitey Bulger. I mean, nope. Or um, the Golden State Killer. Right. He's like a thousand. Like, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, if you're, what's that old law enforcement statement? Like, if you're going to do the crime, you got to do the time. Like, and in this day and age with our capabilities, I can only hope justice is coming soon. With all the technology and everything. Exactly. I mean, you hope that they would be able to pin it to them. Exactly. And yeah. So, and like I said, for the victim's family's sake, like I... I want to see justice for them so badly because, you know, everybody's getting older. I mean, Christina White's mom died without knowing what happened to her daughter. I know how it goes when you meet the families. It makes a big difference in in the way you perceive a case or anything like that. So I definitely believe that, you know, that can be a driving force and a positive force in any Mm -hmm. type of case. So. Right, right. And I mean, just some, I guess, little things that I'm going to give Gloria a little shout out here that she's kind of looking into right now that you can see on the group if you're interested as far as his mother being involved in a local church in Chicagoland at a Lutheran church. So that's kind of where we're going with that, which is kind of an, an interesting venue to take, we'll say. Okay. Oh, his father died. Um, well, he was very young. And again, too, we had heard reports that he had an inappropriate relationship with his mother. We don't know the extent of that, though. But they would have attended this church from 1958 until 1965. And it was the uh, North Austin English Evangel... Evangel- I can't even say that word. Lutheran Church in Chicago. So she's asking if anybody has any information about that to you know reach out to her, which um, all that information's on the Facebook page. Was there anything shady about that church? I'm just wondering if I can say this thing. You know, not to say that it's not this guy. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that like mm-hmm. that's sometimes oh, right. how it can go. Right. Well, and I feel like you know I'm so guilty of that. Like especially with like the Scott Peterson case. I'm no. like, oh, that son of a bitch did it. Like, well, and that was the other case I was going to talk about. I was between this one and uh, Lacey's case because that one, honestly, like was my first encounter with this, but I don't know that I would call it my passion case. Like it hasn't been. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Amy. And hi, Hi, True True Crime Crime fans. fans. We're the co-hosts of She Goes by Jane. Every week, we'll be covering the story of a missing or unidentified woman in the United States. Stories you may have heard before. And ones whose stories didn't make it into the news. We've been covering these stories for a while. First in Amy's book of poetry, Doe. And then in Vanessa's documentary, She. But now we want to share them with you here on She Goes by Jane. And each week we'll be joined by a special guest who will read a poem in honor of the women we talk about. Can we say who? We can say who. 
We'll be joined by actresses like Coco Jones and Gabrielle Ruiz, and musicians like Stephanie Quayle and Kelly Moneymaker, along with authors like Louise Penny and Catherine McKenzie. So check out She Goes by Jane wherever you get your podcasts, or check out Evergreen Podcasts and their true crime channel, Killer Podcasts. We can't wait to bring you these stories. It's so weird. You know, yeah, and there's so, so much reasonable doubt, and everything they convicted him with was circumstantial. Oh my God. I'm like, that. I'm like, how can you tell me that he was found guilty in an actual, like, Real court trial. of his peers? Like, I'm like, he was guilty with the court of, what is it? Public opinion. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> My brain isn't exactly plugged in right now. I mean, that's the only reason that guy got caught. Because it's an important thing to mention about the religion. Well, that's why I asked. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I ended up, uh, her and I ended up talking about it. And that's why she decided to take this path and having to look in into Utah, it. I'm not Mormon. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. it was very uh, eye-opening for, for a non-Mormon to see what, how big a part religion can actually play in, in people's lives. I, I really mm. had, to, I was so naive. I'm not religious, but my city is pretty Catholic. So it's just, well, and if you type in serial killers in religion, like, and Ed Gein, again, sticks out in my brain because he was, if you type in serial killers and their religions, you can actually see, but Ed Gein comes to mind because his mother drilled and drilled in his brain that women are harlots and whores and evil. Mm-hmm. And that's why, um, you know, he loved his mother so much. It was not necessarily an, in a, it was an inappropriate relationship, but not like sexually based. If right. that makes sense. But it ended up fucking with his sexuality. So that's, yeah. Needless to say. <laughs> you know, it's like if you're going to procreate, like, don't fuck up your kids. Like, <laughs> I can't emphasize that emo- like enough. If people just sat down and actually cared about what their actions did yeah. to their children. Or you just don't have fucking kids. Uh, you know what? Do you know how scared I am of screwing one up? Like, I'm like, that's why I'm like, I'm good. Okay. So as I had mentioned about him with the Lutheran church, and I know you would ask something like, did religion have anything, like any weird things to do with him? So he grew up in a Lutheran church and we know that for a fact. And I believe his mother was like devoutly Lutheran and they like attended every week and he was a part of it. So, and that as of right this moment is the extent of all we know. But someone came forward with a really weird interaction with him. This happened, I guess, in the 80s at some point. So somebody at the theater was just kind of making small talk with him. This person was like a teenager at the time. Was just like, oh, uh, you know, like what religion are you? And the person of interest stopped dead in his tracks, looked at him and said, none of your damn business and walked away. And like, stop the conversation right then and there. And I even pushed this person. I was like, you know, did you make more of it? Were you like, you know, like young and impressionable and, you know, thinks everybody hates you? He's like, no, it was weird because we were just chatting away and it was just, you know, like they were on the topic of it and he completely shut down and walked away, Hmm. which is kind of weird. I mean, you know, if you grew up Lutheran, your family's Lutheran, like, and it's not an issue in your family, you know, it's not a problem. Why wouldn't you just be like, oh, I was raised Lutheran. And it's like, again, people are completely, completely like justified to answer their own way. We have the freedom of religion in this country, but it was just a really weird encounter. Someone had mentioned. I mean, it's, you got to look at the tiny little things that are like, okay, what the hell does that mean? Something yeah. to just take in. 
Yeah, and, and how much did that influence, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, was he abused? What I mean, we hear horror stories about the Catholic Church. Like that whole uh, The Keepers. Oh, that entire yeah. documentary is so screwed up. So screwed mm-hmm. up. And, you know, we know that, like, unfortunately, like, people who are part of churches are not always good people, unfortunately. B- They're evil and have bad intentions. So God only knows. Or Three, three letters, BTK. Bingo. Bingo. That's all I thought of in Mindhunter. And I'm going to give a quick spoiler alert. If you haven't listened to Mindhunter, don't listen to this part. When they said, oh, this guy's not a religious person. He doesn't go to church. I like stood up right away and I was like, ha, guess what? Mm-hmm. He does. But yeah, I have to remember that this was back in like, I think it was set in the 80s at this point. So like, yeah, ha, yeah. How it's far cool. we have come. Like I said, too, there's many serial killers who have had religious influences. Son of Sam, Ed Gein. I think Ted Bundy, too, had some some issues with religion. Oh, and Jeffrey Dahmer was raised in a very devout home and mm-hmm. did, you know, he had a lot of issues obviously because he was homosexual and struggled with that. And, uh, well, he was a Northeast Ohioan. So, you know, you, you can take the blame for the Chicago land stuff, but <laughs> yeah. well, I'll, I'll take the blame for the Dahmer. Yeah. Yeah. That, that works. That totally works. But didn't he end up in Wisconsin? Yeah, that was really yeah. Yeah, because they called him the cannibal of something. Cannibal of Milwaukee. Thank you, yes. uh, First murder took place here. Ah. Hitchhiker. It's interesting. I'd uh, I'd be really interested to see how many serial killers start in their hometown. I would be very interested because this person supposedly did, this person of interest. And now that you said that, it makes me wonder. Very interesting. I mean, it's true. You, you, you don't, it's like with the Mahalovic case or with, you know, these other cases that we're talking about at the present moment. Like, there is a reason to think that this person had committed more than just this offense mm-hmm. or is responsible mm-hmm. for other offenses that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. And you have to look at those kind of patterns. And of course, you have to look at it with like a discerning eye. You can't just be like, oh, yes, like they're guilty for everything. Like you have to look at it. And I mean, what what's that? Occam's razor, like the most simple answer is the answer. Exactly. I believe you said that in my podcast (laughs) that I I had you on. I think I might have, but I've used but that reference true. before. But it's, it's true. It's very yeah. true. And it, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's very true in a lot of homicide investigations. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm glad to see that they're looking back into some of the Atlantic child killings because there's absolutely no way in hell. And, I, you know, not to be a spoiler to the people that haven't finished Mindhunter season two. Yeah, fast forward if you haven't watched um, it yet. To blame Wayne Williams for every single one of those crimes is absolutely fucking asinine in my opinion and that's not to say that he's not responsible for some but right. to say that he's responsible for every single All one of them is mm-hmm. totally ridiculous because if you it's irresponsible of, in a way yeah well it's irresponsible but it's impossible mm-hmm. if you look at the amount of time that he would have been able to do this with the place that he was living he would have been killing like a person a week or so it was something ridiculous mm-hmm. so like whatever um, no, I, I get you. Yeah, and that was one of those cases when I remember. I remember being a kid and watching that on American Justice with Bill Curtis, mm-hmm. speaking of Chicago. Um, <laughs> the American Justice perspective was like, yeah, he might be innocent for some of these things because they were showing the families talk about. I can't think that he had anything to do with my son's killing or whatever. And it's not to say that again that he wasn't responsible for some but to blame him right. for all 27 i think is completely irresponsible and you can right. see that in mind hunter especially with the way it ends with holden's perspective and then mm-hmm. like are you fucking kidding me like seriously yep you just screwed us yeah that entire case is is just such a sad one 
on top of it because all of these children died. Like it's horrible. Well, all these um, children died and it affected so many people. Yeah, I mean, I, mean yeah. I did an interview with uh, Levon Putney who works for WCBS in New York as an anchor and that's their New York's news radio station. But mm-hmm. I was, I was his sidekick when I was, his intern back in the day when I worked at the news radio station here in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And he talked about when he lived in Houston, when the Atlanta child killings were going on, remembers not even being able to talk to friends. Like he's like, it was like years before we saw the friends at the end of the street. He's like, Mm -hmm. our, our mom would not let us leave. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it, well, it was so sad. It's so sad too, because um, you know, it's people of color. And back then, oh yeah, given the same, oh god, and it's just horrible. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, Mm -hmm. um, I definitely have a a special place in my heart for that side of things. Mm -hmm. I just think it's that whole Mm -hmm. part of society has been completely well, one screwed, but you know, neglected and Mm -hmm. and just shoved aside. And and I'm not going to get all political and everything, but like to say that you know, once we abolished slavery, everything was cool. It's like it's like it's like that. It's like that Family Guy skit. You know, it's like we're cool, right? Uh. <laughs> well, then for some reason, that's hilarious you said that because for some reason, like, it makes me think of two and family guy when they're like, they're like, oh, what happened between what is it, 1938 and 1942? Nothing. Nothing yeah. happened. <laughs> like, right. like, seriously, how can you just ignore a part of history? Like, yeah, they, what? Oh, God. And there's another one I was trying to think of. I don't know. Man, I never thought was... family guy would be. Yeah, we're not bringing up Family Guy, but uh, and I'm not even the biggest fan. No, neither I, am I. But I forget what uh, it was, Family Guy or The Simpsons. But like, they're basically inside the brain, and two accountants just like pounding away on the computer, and they're like, "You ever think about what's outside the the brain here, and like, or outside the walls here?" And he's like, "Nope, neither should you." And he's like, "Okay," <laughs> so pounding away, and I'm like, oh, it's "Wow, so, it's so much like wow." I think of anxiety, like I suffer from anxiety, and mm-hmm. oh, me too. Like, yeah, and uh, it's just funny to think, like, <laughs> no, no, it's absolutely true. No, it's, it's better just not to ask no. that question. Yeah. Just, just keep good. Just yeah. keep doing. Just- what you do. <laughs> Like, don't even, don't even bother. Don't ask um, that question. Well, and you, so, you know, I don't know how open you are about talking about your anxiety. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm an open book. I've been in therapy since I was 10. No, and take, I find with take? like. So I'm depression, anxiety. My dad died 10 years did ago. Did that like really like fuck with your psyche? Oh like, my fucking God. It, yeah. It, I, I had this weird, if you go on clevelandsailing.wordpress.com, there's kind of like a story about the about which is kind of tells a story about why i started the website and whatever and mm-hmm. and, and like i used sailing as a way to build a relationship with my dad who like mm-hmm. he was you know it's not he was just like a typical guy you know and didn't have a ton of love when he was growing up but his dad was a doctor mm-hmm. and like you know whatever so and he got chipped off to boarding school and i made the choice because i was a therapy kid and my mom did not want me did not want me to end up like him so mm-hmm. I went to therapy when I was 10 and basically worked on myself. And then at like age 20, my one friend was like, man, your relationship with your dad kind of sucks. And I was like, yeah, you're fucking right. So I'm like, maybe it was like 19 or whatever. But like, I was like, all right, fuck it. I'll 
sacrifice. And not to sound like I traded my Saturday night partying for Sunday morning sailing because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what he enjoyed. Like he went, he, he was a sailboat racer. So I basically became a part of the crew and eventually we actually, majority of my friends became the, the part of the crew and he was, oh wow, you know, it was like, 75% my friends and then my dad. And it was mm-hmm. and it was one of those things that just evolved that way. And the worst part about it is that he bought a new boat with his best friend. We were going to have like a, we were all excited. There's a mm-hmm. picture. I'm sitting here looking at the picture of us standing. Like we have our like shirts on that say like our last, the last dance. It's like, because it was the last race of the la- that one boat because we just mm-hmm. bought a new boat. And he's all smiles. And then six months after that, he gets diagnosed with cancer and dies three months later. Oh my God. Yeah. That's horrible. Yeah. It was, it's like when like yeah. you're already down and like life kicks you. Oh, it was a big fuck. Yeah. It was a big fuck. Uh, I mean, I had never had panic attacks before mm-hmm. and they took over my life. That was like four years after he died. So it was like one of those And it sits like, with you. I mean, like- Oh, it's still having shit. Yeah. I haven't lost my parents, but I watched my mom lose both. So I grew up next to my grandparents- Okay. They were basically like a second set of parents to me. So like I, I watched my family like have to deal with like their parents dying. Mm-hmm. And my grandma died in like a really traumatic way. Like we woke up in the middle of the night and, you know, my mom is screaming and she's like, we have to get to the hospital now. You know, they're doing CPR on grandma and all this stuff. Um, and I think it was just the way that it all happened. And um, like I said, watching, we're a pretty close family. And I try to stay like level-headed in situations like that. I'm like, okay, they haven't said she doesn't have a pulse. They are still working on her. You know, we need to look at the bright side of these things. And, you know, I, I ended up finding that like I had like a PTSD kind of thing after that. And I went through a depression because of like the type of death she suffered, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. She just died. There was no reason for it. Exactly. Like she just died. And, you know, I was planning my wedding and she was so excited to be there. And I think that was part of it too. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and it's like not to like take anything, like I know she's not my parent, you know, like I could not even imagine what you've gone through. But I mean, like, it's just like the trauma of losing somebody, especially in a very traumatic way. But, you know, I mean, it's just like, everybody's going to take things differently. Yeah, You know, like um, nobody's going to react the exact same way. Hell no. Go ahead. And uh, uh, do you have any plugs that you want to get out before uh, before we wrap up today? Yes. First of all, check out the documentaries Confluence and Cold Valley. I believe the one is available on Amazon Prime. The other is available on Hulu. Watch it right now if you want to learn more about this case. Second of all, go to the Facebook page, Lewis Clark Valley Serial Killer. And from there, you can like the page and also join the Facebook group if you want to learn more about these cases. Gloria is amazing and she's thorough and she's making sure what she's putting out there is accurate. So like I said, if you want to learn more about this case, definitely, definitely join the page and the group. And And finally- And you've done some episodes. And finally, yes, (laughs) check out Victimology if you want to hear more about it. I have an entire like three-part episode about this case because, you know, there's just so much to it. I mean, it's a miracle I got through it today. Let's put it that way. And then like the second part of the episode, second and third, I interview Gloria and um, she has some very interesting things to say and stuff that wasn't quite out there initially, but now it is. So definitely check it out if you want to learn more about it. Awesome. 
Well, that, thank you again for uh, joining me this week. I really do appreciate it. I think our listeners will really enjoy learning more about this case and they will definitely be able to, if they listen to your podcast and, you know, just take a listen to this episode. And thanks again for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this week's episode of Who Killed? the Lewis Clark Valley Serial Killer. I would also like to thank everyone who has taken time out of their schedules to make these shows popular as well as help me continue to produce them. As a reminder, I do drop new episodes of Who Killed on Fridays, and while I am continuing to edit Season 2 of My Passion Case, those will eventually be dropped on Mondays. So... For the second year in a row, I will be representing Who Killed and Who Killed Amy Maholovic and My Passion Case on Podcast Row at CrimeCon 2020 in Orlando. This is definitely a bucket list item for any true crime fan. The dates have been moved, obviously, and they are now October 30th through November 1st. So it will be a little Halloween CrimeCon experience, which will be pretty cool. And if you guys want to save money on your ticket, you can use my promo code AMY2020. If you enjoy this podcast and my other shows, you can help support independent journalism by clicking on the donate button on the left-hand side of my website, slowburnmedia.com. That is slow minus the W. You can also contribute to the show via the Venmo app with my username at bill-huffman-3. I will provide a link in the show notes as well. And every contribution does help keep these Slow Burn podcasts running. You can also support the show by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Because those five stars do keep these important cases I cover in the spotlight. So if you guys have any information regarding any of the unsolved cases that I've covered, please contact the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI. And if you want to submit a tip anonymously you can always do so via crime stoppers so if you'd like to stay up to date on the cases i have covered as well as the new shows i have in the pipeline please follow me on twitter at bill huffman three thank you guys so much again for listening this week and until next time be healthy and safe Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. 
1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at killerpodcast.com.